All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there and let's read uh, from the Word of God. I'm going to read this chapter to you. And by the grace of God, we'll cover Ephesians chapter 5 today. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So then that you walk, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, not as as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that he should be that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the lord does the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, 
But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we're going to look primarily, really, we're going to concentrate on these verses that lead up to verse 22. I'm not going to talk so much about the relationship specifically of husbands and wives today. We're talking about the church. We're talking about our relationship with God, and we're talking about our relationship with one another. And in reality, this is the context in which Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians. Oftentimes, because we hear 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 5 read at weddings, we think of those scriptures exclusively oftentimes as scriptures specifically in particular about marriage. And though certainly Ephesians 5 verses uh, 23 to the end or 22 to the end deals with marriage, it deals with marriage in the context of giving us a greater understanding of the church, of our relationship between Christ and the church. What's the church? The church isn't this building. You are the church. The church, that word in the Greek is a word that means the called out assembly. It's the called out ones, the assembly of called out ones. This building just gives us a container for the church to meet within. So we call it a church. But if you're not here, if the church, if the called out ones are not here, this building doesn't mean anything. It's not spiritual. It's not holy. It's not special. It's just, a, just an old metal building. But what makes it special is this is where the church assembles. You are the church. Paul is writing to the church and he is writing so that we will understand the relationship that we have in Christ with God and the relationship that we are to have with one another and how that relationship gives witness to the world so that the world has a witness of what Christ has done, what God has done in sending his son and in proclaiming the gospel, not just in a book, but through the life of his son, through the very personification of the Godhead in Jesus Christ. The gospel is proclaimed and the gospel is proclaimed through the body of Christ, that is the people of God who are the church. That's us. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, open this word to us. Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, open the eyes of our heart. Lord, where there's blindness, bring sight. Where there's deafness, Lord, give us hearing. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would be a people that would bring glory and honor to you in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we come into Ephesians chapter 5 having already received a command to walk worthy of your calling. That's in actually Ephesians chapter 4. Turn back a page and let's read Ephesians 4 verse 1. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness, gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love. And then he goes on and he says, endeavoring to keep 
the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we come into chapter five, already having received this command to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. There's four commands in how we are to walk in the Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're commanded to walk worthy. We're commanded to walk in love. We're commanded to walk as children of light. And we're commanded to walk circumspectly or carefully. And so when Paul writes this and he says to the church, I beg you, brothers, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. He's calling us to walk in love. He's calling us to walk in light. He's calling us to walk carefully. So there's this clear understanding that we are one in Christ and our worthy walk is one in which we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is where he goes on in chapter four and he says there's one body, one spirit, uh, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. So this theme of unity, we are one body and we have been called together for his glory. So I want you to be real clear on this. God does not exist for you. You were created for him. And specifically, you were created for his glory. Do you know that Satan was created for his glory? And even in Lucifer's fallen state, he will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And do you know that he will glorify God burning in that lake of fire? Don't be mistaken and think that the glory of God just has to do with, you know, little kittens and puppy dogs and warm fuzzy things. Listen, the glory of God is seen not only in his beauty, but in the awesome terribleness of who he is. When I say terribleness, I mean, listen, we're talking about the God of creation. Jesus said, don't fear those who have power to kill your body. Fear him who has power to cast your soul into hell. I mean, we're all been out of shape over ISIS because they're cutting people's heads off. Listen, all those people they cut their heads off that are believers in Jesus Christ, all they did was just transport them right to the presence of the Lord. They're the ones that ought to be afraid if they really understood who they were and who God is. And so we are believers in Jesus Christ. We need to have an understanding. This is really what Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about. He prays in the first chapter. He says, my prayer continually is that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, would be opened, that you would know the hope of your calling, the exceeding greatness of his power that works toward us in Jesus Christ. Do you know that church? Do you know the exceeding greatness of his power that works towards you? We need to know that. And so God has called us together for his glory. He's made us a body for his glory. He saved you for his glory. And in you living for his glory, you will experience, the Bible says, a fullness of joy that's beyond description. It's unspeakable. And it's full of glory. This is how, and this is why, the Bible commands us to be thankful for and in all things. That we can have joy in the midst of even suffering. Even when we're walking through the valley of shadow, 
God has not left us. And where God is, there is his joy. Where God is, there is peace because he has himself become our peace. So we see from the scripture that unity is not compromise. It's not going along to get along. It's not lowering the standard so that we all feel comfortable. But unity is our personal and corporate submission in the fear of God. And our call to worship today, it says wisdom and understanding. Where is that? Where does that come from? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. It's not a God that I shake and tremble because I'm afraid he's going to harm me. It's a God who I shake and tremble before because I realize he is not going to give to me what I truly deserve. I deserve his wrath, but he has given to me grace. He has every reason to give to me wrath, but he has in his grace instead given mercy in Jesus Christ. And when we realize that there is nothing in us that deserves his mercy and nothing in us that deserves his grace, that in fact, according to the scripture, everything about me deserves his wrath and he is just and he is right in giving that wrath to me, yet he does not do it. Man, if that doesn't make us tremble in awe of his majesty, of his love, of his mercy and of his grace, then we don't really understand the depth of our salvation and the depth of our sinfulness. You will never understand the depth of your salvation until you understand the depth of your sinfulness. I wasn't raised in church. I never read a Bible until after I had committed my life to Jesus Christ, after I had already graduated from college. And my concept was, I've got this list of good and bad. And my good side list was going to far outweigh my bad side list. I, I, was, I, I was so ignorant as to what sin is and God's understanding of sin. I, I had no concept. And as God began to open my eyes and enlighten me to the reality of who he is and why sin is so abominable to him because it's so it's contrary in every way to who he is and that I was defined as one who was the personification of sin and death that's what the Bible says we are that we are born in sin and death we're born undeserving of his grace but yet in his mercy he gives to us in his grace he gives to us mercy And that revelation of his grace and his mercy creates in us an attitude of thankfulness because he has poured his love into my heart. I can love him. Because he pours his love into your heart, you can love him. And out of that love for him, you realize that God is not going to give to you what you truly deserve, but he is going to give instead mercy in his grace. That revelation by the Spirit of God should motivate us to live lives that would glorify him. Not motivate us to go out and live any way we want and say, well, I can go sin and do anything I want now because God's a God of grace. No, it does just the opposite of that. 
If we think the grace of God gives us a license to go sin, then we don't understand sin and we don't understand salvation. We certainly don't understand God and we don't understand what we truly deserve. But when we come to that knowledge of who we were before we came into Christ, when we come to that understanding of who we were before we were born again, that revelation of the grace and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ should cause our hearts to explode with thankfulness, cause our hearts to explode with love for God. Now here's the thing, church, it's a process. You being born again is not a process. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God will cause you to be born again. And you will literally the Bible says, become a new creation. If any man be in Christ, the, uh, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. Then verse 18 begins with, now all things are of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Now all things are of God. When you're born again, you're no longer of the world. Now you are of God. And so this is what Paul is writing about. He's writing about this reality of who we are in Christ. To walk worthy of your calling is to walk in these ways. He commands us, he says, walk in love as dear children. Walk in light as children of light. And walk carefully as wise children. You see, there's a progression in the way that we are commanded to walk. And our walk is to give witness to the glory of Christ and to the church. It's just like a child is born and there is a progression that leads them to maturity. When we're born again, there is a progression that brings us up to maturity in Christ. And we are all being brought up together in him. We might not all be the same age, so to speak, we might be in different places in the process, just like we look at this congregation and there are children here who are weeks old and there are saints here that are years old, some many years old. But, but we're all the body of Christ. And so my little grandbaby, Benjamin there, you should watch him eat with a fork. He's not real good at it. But his mom, she's pretty good at eating with a fork. She's in a different place on her journey in her process of maturity. But we're all still the family of God. We're all the body of Christ. So Paul, in his command to us to walk worthy of the calling, he says this. He says, walk in love as dear children. This is where we began in, in chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love. Here are the words of Jesus spoken for us. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 15, verse 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. What we're tempted to do is to take those very simple words of Jesus. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And we want to make a list of rules and regulations, and we want to check it every day. We want to check it throughout the day to make sure. That's, I want you to understand that what God calls us to, what the gospel is, what Christianity is, is not you living by some formula. It's not you living by a list of rules and regulations and making sure at the end of every day that you kept all of them that you can. And when, when you find out there's some that you broke, then you, you ask God to forgive you. Then you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, you start again. That's not good news. The good news is this. God gives us the standard of perfection and demands that we live it knowing that it's impossible for us to. He created Adam, put Adam in the earth, but he didn't create Adam with the intention that Adam would be the one that would walk in sinless perfection. He created Adam knowing that the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world would one day come in the fullness of time, be born of a virgin, be born under the law to redeem those under the law, and that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. He would grow up. He would live a sinless life because he is the sinless Son of God, and that would all culminate with his death on the cross, his burial, and then his resurrection. And if we will put our faith in the righteousness of another, we will be saved. So we walk in love as dear children. To walk In love is to walk according to the life of Christ that's in us by the Holy Spirit. To walk in love is to walk contrary to and apart from those things described in verses 3 and 4. Fornication, covetousness, uncleanliness, those sinful works, those sinful behavior that, that are not learned, they come natural because we're born in sin. That's why the Bible says a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Why? Because a child left to himself is going to do what's natural for him to do or for her to do. And what's natural for us to do, it comes out of our nature of sin and death that we're born with in our first birth. What's the solution? Well, just teach him to behave better. No, that's not the solution. That's like teaching your dog people tricks and expecting that they're going to become human. They're going to still be dogs because their nature is canine. They're dogs. You can teach them tricks all day long, and they might be really smart and really entertaining. And you might say, man, I've got a great dog. If we do that with our children, we say, man, I've got a great child. They're so obedient. Then one day they leave your house and they go berserk. You're like, what happened to my kid? Well, what happened to your kid was they finally lived true to their nature. So what's the solution? We need to be born again. Our nature needs to be changed. Who can do that? Only God can do that. That's not through behavior modification. It's a change of nature. And so Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He's writing to the brethren. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. It is your reasonable act of worship. 
and that you no longer be conformed to this world, but you be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So to walk in love is to walk with a heart that desires to glorify God. Or we could say it this way, to walk in love is to walk with a heart that desires to keep God's commandments. But it's to walk with both of our eyes open and with this realization that as hard as I try, as hard as I work, I'll never attain to the level of sinless perfection that God demands. So what does God want me to do? God wants me to walk with a heart that loves him to fulfill his commandments, but he wants me to understand that that can only ultimately be accomplished in Jesus Christ. So I defer to Jesus and I say, God, I have no righteousness. Even my good works are like filthy rags before you. But my trust is not in my working. My trust is not in my trying. My trust is in Jesus. I trust in the effective work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, your sinless son, the sinless lamb that you sent, I put my faith, my trust in his sinless perfection. I look to his righteousness. That's where my faith is, God. And you know what God does? The Bible says God accounts to us righteousness. In other words, God gives to us his own righteousness because our faith is in Jesus Christ. So through our faith in Jesus, God gives to us his righteousness. This is what a walk of love is. We talk about walking in love and we talk about how we relate to one another and that's very, very important. But I'm going to tell you this. You can only love someone else to the degree that you love God. This is why Paul brings in and he, he, he brings in the reality that, that the relationship that God created in the beginning was the marriage relationship. And the marriage relationship pictures most intimately the relationship between Christ and his church. Husbands, wives, you can only love your spouse to the degree that you love God. Man, my wife is sitting here listening to me. She's just smiling back there. So who's got that down perfect? Don't ask my wife because she'll tell you I don't. So what hope do we have? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Because Christ will open our blind eyes and our deaf ears and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. His spirit on the inside of us will bring correction when we need correction. He'll redirect us. He'll put us back on the path of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Why does God do what he does? He does it for his name's sake. What does that mean? That means that God saved you for his glory. God's going to keep you saved for his glory. God's going to lead, guide, and direct you for his glory. Will you benefit? Will I benefit? You better believe we will. 
But God didn't do what he did just for our benefit and that's it. God did what he did for his namesake. He did it for his glory. We are here today for his glory. We're called to the work of ministry for his glory. We're called to be and to make disciples for his glory. I am called to equip you and you are called to be equipped. Notice the Bible didn't say he gave gifts to the church for the entertaining of the saints. That's not what the Bible says. That's what the church has turned into today. And we think the more we can entertain people, then the more we can get them in our buildings and keep them. Listen, you can live in the church and enjoy the entertainment of the church, but entertainment will never save you. You aren't called, you aren't saved to be entertained. You are called, you are saved to be equipped to go out into the world and be a disciple and to show forth his glory for his glory. That's why we're here today, ultimately, to worship him who has saved us for his glory and to be equipped so that we can go into a world filled with darkness and be light and be salt to them and to be wise in how we do it. So to walk in love is to walk according to the life of Christ that's in us. To walk in love not only speaks to how we walk with and toward one another, but most importantly, how we walk with and toward God. To walk in love is to walk in hatred of sin. Yes. To be a shepherd who loves the sheep means you have to be a shepherd who hates the wolf. You get that, church. To be a shepherd who loves the sheep is to be a shepherd who hates the wolf. A good shepherd loves the sheep and will hate the wolf. To love God is to hate sin. That means we're going to gravitate toward God and the things consistent with him and we're going to shun and move away from the things that are inconsistent with him, that are contrary to him. So to walk in love is to walk in hatred of sin, in hatred of disunity, in hatred of those actions and attitudes that would tarnish and tear down the glory of the unity we have been given in Christ through the redemption that is bought by his blood. Don't ever think there was not a great price paid. The greatest price paid was paid by Jesus we can't even begin to imagine. The price that was paid for the Son of God to die on the cross, to have the Father turn his face away from the Son. So we're commanded to walk in love as dear children. We're commanded to walk as light, as children of light, so we're called not only to walk in the light, but, but to walk as light. So look at Ephesians 5.8. Paul writes this, For you were once darkness, 
He didn't say you once behaved like darkness. He didn't say you once acted like darkness. He said you were once darkness. Darkness is who we were. But now you are light. Where? Where are we light? In the Lord. Everything we have that is good that is gracious, that is merciful, that is loving, that is peaceful, that is joyful. Everything we have that pertains to life and godliness, we have it in one place, in one place alone. We have it in Christ. So he says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has loved us. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk as children of light. This is what he's telling us. This is what it means to be an imitator of God. But God doesn't want us just to put on a God costume and pretend like we're imitating him. He wants our life in reality to manifest his fruit. That's why the true measure of spirituality is not how gifted you are. It's not your spiritual gifting and how well you can operate and function in that. The true measure of spirituality is what fruit your life is producing. Spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So if we take that parenthesis out of there, he says this. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How many of you have ever lost something at night? Anybody? How many of you came to the very quick realization that whatever you lost is much easier to find if you have some light? Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Listen, if you're walking around in darkness, you're never going to find anything. You're lost. (laughs) And you're certainly not going to find what is acceptable to the Lord as you walk in darkness. Walk as children of light, finding what is acceptable to the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Why does he talk about, why does he give us this parenthesis? Walk as children of light, parenthesis. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding what is acceptable to the Lord. So the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth correlates to the fruit of the Spirit made manifest in our sanctification, in our justification, and in our salvation. There's a progression there. You're never going to be sanctified until you're saved. This is what a lot of people do. This is why people who think their church membership is going to save them and they come to church and they try really hard to modify their behavior and they think one day their good list is going to be longer than their bad list and they've spent their whole life trying to modify their behavior and conform it to what they think God wants it to be. They've worked really hard at trying to sanctify themselves. The only problem is you can't sanctify yourself. 
because you can't justify yourself and you certainly can't save yourself. So this correlates to our sanctification, our justification, and our salvation. Our salvation is the work of his spirit by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Our justification is the declaration of righteousness that's given to us through faith in Christ. It's not our righteousness. He declares and imputes to us his righteousness. It's like winning the Powerball. I have zero in my bank account, but then... One day I realized somebody has deposited an unending source of income in my bank account. That's what the righteousness of God is to us. We were bankrupt and broke with a big fat zero. Actually, we were in the negative. And God, through faith in Jesus Christ, imputed to us his very own righteousness, which will never, ever run out. Our sanctification is the work produced through faith. Faith without works is dead. Sanctification is the work produced through faith manifest in us as his goodness. Shorthand is this, that your life would look like Jesus, that your life would sound like Jesus, that your walk would be like the walk of Jesus. And when you fail... You don't lose heart. Why? Because you remember, oh yeah, I was justified. He gave me his righteousness. But then that gratitude in my heart because of what he did in saving me and justifying me causes me to get back up and keep walking and keep shining as a light in the darkness so that others too can find their way. So to walk as a child of light is to walk in the manifestation of the fruit of his spirit giving witness to our salvation our justification and our sanctification through the manifestation of his goodness righteousness and truth walk as children of light for you have been born again of the light and now you are light in the lord walk as children of light finding out what is acceptable to the lord Walk as children of light, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather exposing them. If you are light, you should be exposing darkness. Listen, if you carry a flashlight into the dark, the light can't help but expose what it shines on. The light's not selective. When you carry a light into the darkness, the light's not trying to figure out if it wants to expose this and not this. No, the light by its very nature, just exposes, makes manifest what is or was in darkness. So to walk as a child of light is to walk free from the unfruitful works of darkness and to expose them, to shine the light. That light should first be shown in our own heart, and it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Same God who caused light to shine in the first creation and the natural creation has shown a light in our heart. That we might what? That we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is where God shines the light first. So that you can become the light and the salt that's to affect the world around you.
To be imitators of God, we must walk as children of light, for we are no longer darkness, but light in the Lord. We are called to do this together for his glory. And finally, Paul tells us to walk carefully as wise children. To walk circumspectly, your translation might might say. That word circumspectly means carefully, accurately, diligently, strictly. Let me read to you from the pulpit commentary that provides a a more full understanding of what, what is being said here. Take heed then how ye walk strictly. The construction is somewhat peculiar. It combines two ideas. See that you walk strictly, but consider well the kind of strictness. Are you listening to me, church? Because if we're not careful, we'll get off into some type of legalism that is not gospel. It is not scriptural. There's a lot of people living in legalism who are living in bondage, who are living under a strictness that's not the gospel, that's not the truth. That's not what Paul is saying here. This is why he says, see that you walk strictly, but consider well the kind of strictness. Do not walk loosely without fixed principles of action, but make sure that your rules are of the true kind. Many are strict who are not wisely strict. They have rules, but not good rules. Listen, I started out in youth ministry, and and so I've seen all kinds of kids, and I've seen all kinds of families. I've seen families whose children have absolutely no boundaries and no rules. I've seen families who have raised their children up in the church, and they rule those children with an iron fist, thinking that their rule with an iron fist and setting these boundaries and making them live under some strict is somehow going to make their children holy. If I can control their behavior and make their behavior holy, then they'll be holy. No, you've missed the point of the gospel. Because our behavior will never make us holy. So we need to walk carefully. And what Paul is saying here is that we're not just walking in some legalism. We need to understand the truth. We need to understand our boundaries and we need to understand our liberty. And we need to walk accordingly. Jesus came, remember, to set the captives free. He didn't come to make us more bound by legalism. But let's go back to the very simple words of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. What does that mean? It means exactly what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. It doesn't mean I condemn myself, shame myself because I fail. It means that I continually fall on the grace of God and I look to Jesus Christ who is the one who keeps the law perfectly for me. And I teach my children the same thing, that if we make our lives gospel-centered, if we teach our children the gospel, not a bunch of rules and regulations of how we want them to live or how we think the world expects them to live, but we teach them gospel. We take them to the word of God and we show them the wonderful, glorious liberty that we have in Christ. And we show them also the danger, the real dangers that exist when we abuse that liberty or we live outside of those boundaries that God has set for us. Walk carefully as wise children, redeeming the time. In other words, not wasting it on unwise living. Walk carefully as wise children because the days are evil. Paul is writing this. We see this up in 
in, in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk carefully as wise children. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's verse 17. Therefore, children, wise children, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That implies that if we don't understand what the will of the Lord is, we are unwise. Now, how are you and I going to come to understand what the will of the Lord is? This is why God in his grace and mercy preserved this word for us and has given us the scripture. Now, you can ask God to give you dreams and visions. You can eat uh, weird pizza, have weird dreams, think God's speaking to you, through your weird dreams and your weird visions, but let me just give you a word of caution. If you really want to know what God has to say about things, if you really want to know what the will of the Lord is, pick this thing up first, crack it open, and begin to read it. If God gives you a dream, if God gives you a vision, just make sure it lines up with this. If you don't know what this says, then you'll never know what dream or vision whether it's from God or not. Might make you feel really good. Might tell you exactly what you want to hear, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's God. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed that God doesn't always tell me, at least this is the way it works in my life, God doesn't always tell me what I want to hear. But he always tells me the truth. And sometimes what I want to hear isn't necessarily the truth. So, you know, this is my problem as a pastor. I want to tell everybody everything that makes them feel good, but if I did that, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Because let's face it, the reality is the truth does not always feel good. But the truth is always good for us. So to walk carefully as wise children involves all of these things. And finally, Paul writes this. To walk carefully as wise children is allowing the Spirit of God to fill and to control your life and direct your steps. We see this in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Don't make it more than what it, what it actually means. What it means, that word to be filled with the Spirit, kind of like the, 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 when we read in the Bible, it says they were filled with wrath. What does that mean? It means that they were so angry that their anger overtook their life and began to dictate their behavior and their actions. To be filled with the Spirit is not having some mystical experience. It is walking and living a lifestyle in which you are submitted to the Holy Ghost that lives on the inside of you and you are filled with the Spirit. That means the Spirit is now the person is now the life that is controlling and directing your life, your actions, your thoughts. That is what Paul means when he says, be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on, he says, this is what a Spirit-filled life is going to look like. You're going to speak certain ways. You're going to have certain things in your heart. You're going to have certain attitudes. You're going to be able to give thanks for all things to God in Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to give thanks for some things, right? That's not hard. Giving thanks for all things, though, now that's a different story. The Bible doesn't say give thanks for some things that are obviously to be, you're to be thankful for. It says give thanks for all things. 
If the Spirit of God is not controlling your life, if the Spirit of God is not filling your life, you will never be able to give thanks for very many things, much less all things. If the Spirit of God is not controlling your life, not filling your life, your speech is going to sound very different. What's in your heart, if you or I could see it, would not be very pretty. But God always sees, and God always hears, and God always knows. So he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to control your speaking to one another. Allow the Spirit to control your attitude of heart. Allow the Spirit to control your giving of thanks for all things to God. Allow the Spirit to control your willing submission to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, Paul writes in verse 21, before he commands wives to submit to their own husbands. Husbands, you ought to pay attention to that. Before the Bible commands your wife to submit to you, the Bible commands all of us to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's a reminder that we are all submitted under the headship of Jesus. And then God, then Paul lays out the order of authority. He, he lays out the, the created order God created in the beginning. Doesn't mean women are less. Doesn't mean that Husbands can rule with an iron fist. He tells us exactly what it means. It means, husbands, you're going to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And she will willingly, lovingly submit because you are going to love her with a love that is so beyond comprehension. And then that relationship is giving witness. Ephesians 3 says, it gives witness to powers and principalities in heavenly places. But it also gives witness to the world around us. And so the point of living under the control of the Spirit is that the Spirit will regulate our relationships, all of them, from our relationship with God to our relationship with one another to our, our most intimate relationships and in our marriages. Allow the Spirit to control your relationships because they give witness to Christ and to the church. So to be imitators of God, we must be dear children who humbly and powerfully, don't forget the power, who humbly and powerfully, power and humility are not mutually exclusive ideas. We should humbly and powerfully Live our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit in every aspect, in every way, in every place, in all that we do, in all that we are. Because we are called to do this together for his glory. So when Paul gets to the end of chapter 5, and he goes through this whole discourse about marriage, he brings us back to the, to the beginning when man was created and, and God created Eve from the side of Adam as a type of the church. Adam is a type of Christ. Eve is a type of the church. And he brings us back and he says, I speak a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You are the church. Your relationship to God gives witness to his glory. You and I were created for his glory. So I want to challenge you to walk worthy of your calling. I want to challenge you to walk in love, to walk as light, and to walk carefully as wise children 
under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. I challenge you to have faith that you carry the greatest power in the world. You carry the power of the Holy Spirit and you have been given the power of the gospel to make known in word and in deed through your words and through your actions. I challenge you to sow seed, to water and to plant, to believe God for the increase of souls and our growth to maturity. That's your personal growth. That's my growth. That's all of our growth. That's the growth of the church. That's the growth of Christ fellowship. That we would come to maturity. I challenge you to work hard as a co-laborer together with Christ for the transformation of our families, of our church body here at Christ Fellowship, for our city, for our county, and beyond. But don't get your eyes too far ahead until this right here has been dealt with because this is where it all begins. Do this for his glory because he has done all things for his glory that is the chief end of all things is the glory of God and you and I have been privileged to be a part of that to make known his glory in the earth amen let's all stand none of this Nothing we do is done apart from his power. It is the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us, that works in us in ways we can't see, in ways we don't know. And if you are here and you have never come to a place of knowing that you belong to Jesus. Remember, salvation is not what we possess, it's who possesses us. He is our salvation. Christ is our salvation. And we come to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one would ever be able to boast. You say, Pastor, how do I get saved? You just trust in Jesus. There's not a formula. There's not a magic set of words you're supposed to say. It's something that happens in your heart. And from your heart, if you will trust in God, if you will cry out to Jesus, he will not turn you away. He will not put you to shame. So Father in heaven, I pray right now, Lord, if there are any in this place, who have never cried out to you, who have never trusted in you, I pray, God, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, bring them to faith in Christ. Lord, there is no doubt all of us here have loved ones, friends, family, that we know need your salvation. They need to know you. They need to be known by you. Father, I pray that we would first begin to look at our own hearts, that we would in earnest begin to pray and cry out to you, that you would begin to grow us up in all things into Christ, that our lives would, Lord, begin to take on a different measure, a different witness, that we would begin to, Lord, 
demonstrate and manifest a measure of your glory that perhaps our friends and family and loved ones have not seen before. That we would do this, Lord, humbly knowing that it's not us, it's not what we do, it's not our willing and our working, but it's, it's the Spirit of God in us. We invite you, God, to work in us, to work through us, to change us, God, from the inside out, that we would be a people that would show forth your glory, that we would be a a witness of your glory, Lord, in our lives, in the most simple, mundane tasks of life, to, Lord, the, the things that you would bring us to and cause us to encounter that are beyond the realm of our imagination, that you would take all of our life, and in all of our life, you would be glorified. We ask you to do this as only you can by your spirit. We ask this, Lord, for your glory. And we thank you that you give us the privilege to experience the fullness of joy in the process. Help us, God, to find and to know the joy that you've given to us in this journey. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.